Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We'll read the first three verses. Just a short little passage tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let's pray and then we'll read the text. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for the freedom that we have to come here tonight. God, I thank you for being good to us, even when we don't deserve it. You are good, dear Lord. I pray that as we look at your word tonight, it would be good to us. Dear Lord, chances are that there are times that that we have all felt like the book of Ecclesiastes. We feel a little depressed. We feel like we want to give up. We feel like life is meaningless. God, maybe there are some that feel that way tonight. Maybe they don't feel that way tonight, but maybe they will in the future. But God, I pray that wherever we are, that this word, we tuck it away. And if we don't get what we need from it tonight, bring it to our mind at the time we need it, dear Lord. But let us hear your word. Let your Holy Spirit speak through me and to each one of us that we would all hear what your word has to say. Just hide me behind the cross. Take away any nerves or any pride that I have, dear Lord, that all that is done tonight would be for your glory, dear Lord, and come from you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen this theme quite frequently through the book of Ecclesiastes now, and that is the theme that life is meaningless. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Life, life. what's the purpose, right? Life is kind of a bummer. That's the term that I've used that's, that takes the edge off a little bit, I guess. But uh, whatever word we want to use when we talk about the book of Ecclesiastes... It appears as though the author here, who many suggest to be Solomon, is just tired of life, is in a sense saying, man, I'm just, I'm just ready to give up. What's the point? And we probably have all asked that question. Even if we have not uttered the words aloud, perhaps we have even thought them. Uh, we may even be afraid to think them. We may even think, man, I shouldn't be thinking these things. But The fact of the matter is, is that life is hard, and there are days that we probably all have felt like, I want to give up. I can't keep going. What's the point of life? Life is meaningless. And that's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, The the author here keeps bringing up things that you and I can probably all relate to. And uh, and in chapter 3, we talked about time. There's a time for everything, the good and bad. Everything is appropriate in its time. And as bad as life is, we just must find some enjoyment in the good things that God has given us to enjoy. In the midst of all the negative and the evil and the bad, there are plenty of things God has given us that are good. And so we must find some enjoyment in the simpler things in life. But ultimately, as we have talked about every week and probably will every week till we get finished, ultimately we find our meaning not in the things of the world, but we find them in the Lord. And that's kind of what we talked about at the end of Ecclesiastes 3. Tonight, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1, Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Now, here's that phrase we see again, under the sun, right? This is throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. That is, all the things that are being done on earth. In this particular uh, passage that we're looking at tonight, here at the beginning of it, what is he talking about? He's talking about oppression, that there are some in this world that are oppressed. We perhaps have seen those who have been oppressed. Perhaps we are those who are at times oppressed. Perhaps, if we are really honest, maybe we are the oppressor. 
And so we need to be careful that we are not the oppressor, but also need to make sure that we are trying to help those who are oppressed. But he's dealing with oppression here uh, that's being done under the sun. And what does he say uh, at the second part of verse 1? Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. Now, right, that's an unfair thing, right? He's talking about things that he sees in this world that seem unfair. Now, we are somewhat familiar with oppression uh, and, and, and our dealings with the Free Burma Rangers. We keep up with them. We follow them. And, and, uh, and that's part of the name of the bigger organization is Free the Oppressed, right? Because they go all over the world to different places where people are oppressed, Burma being one of those places. And so we're aware of this idea that there are some people who who are oppressed for no reason. They haven't done anything wrong. They're simply trying to live their life. They want to build them a little house. They want to get them a little land. They want to grow their food. They just want to eat. They want to live. They want to raise a family. But they are constantly oppressed, in the case of Burma, by the Burma army that comes in. And this is nothing new under the sun. This has taken place throughout the history of the world. There are always some who are oppressed, and there are always some who are oppressors. And this is this is not fair. This is not good. It doesn't seem right. The oppressed, it seems like that they are, as he says, uh, under the power. The power is with those who are oppressed. Where, where is God in all of these things? And we don't understand always why God allows these types of things to occur, but we must always remember that God is good in what he does. And perhaps the greatest example of this story, and we just talked to uh, talked about it not not too long ago, a few months back, which maybe a few years back, because sometimes I get confused about how uh, frequent stuff is. I'll say we just talked about something a few months ago, and Michelle will be like, "That was four years ago." So anyway, at some point though, we've talked about uh, the story uh, in the Old Testament about Joseph, right? And that's like the worst of the worst. Joseph didn't really do anything wrong, at least the Scripture doesn't say. And even if he did do something wrong, he certainly didn't deserve to be thrown into a pit and th- uh, thrown into slavery and lied about and thrown into prison. Like, these are all the things that happened to Joseph over a long period of time. But yet he tells his brothers, look, you know, th- don't don't worry about anything. God allowed this to happen, Right? So what you intended for evil, God has used for good. Now, I think that that's one of the best, if not the best examples of, of, okay, you want to look at a situation that's bad, that God brings about good? That's a good passage to look at, the end of, of, of Genesis, those last few chapters there. And so we need to remember that in our life when we see things like, man, how come these people in Burma that's been oppressed for all these years are in other parts of the world? How can any good come from it? Well, we don't see it now. But who's not to say that that God may not do something miraculous? And so uh, here, the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about that oppression that he saw and we see and how unfair it is. Now, we see this language a lot in the Old Testament about the oppressed. I'm going to read you a few scriptures uh, just to show you that this is a pretty significant thing, especially in the Old Testament. We see God talk about the oppressed and, and not oppressing others and being there to help those who are oppressed, we see this language quite frequently. Psalm chapter 9, verse 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Praise the Lord. Uh, We want to pray for those who are oppressed so that they would seek the Lord and he would be their refuge. But we also maybe want to tuck that verse in our mind 
So when the day comes, and maybe you're in the day now, where you feel oppressed. Okay, so what do we do in those days when we say, God, where are you? Well, we seek the Lord for strength. When we are those who are oppressed, it is God who will get us through that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do what is good. Seek justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's case, right? This is the language that we see a lot. The oppressed, okay? What, are, what, are, what does he say here? Correct the oppressor, right? Stand up for those who are being oppressed. Learn to do what is right. What is right? Correcting the oppressor. Defending the rights of the fatherless. Uh, to plead the widow's cause, right? These are the things that are important to God. They were in the Old Testament, and they still are today. Proverbs fourteen thirty one. The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker, but one who is kind to the needy honors him. Okay, that's a pretty strong verse, right? If we ever find ourselves being in a situation where we are oppressing someone else, well, what does the scripture they say? If we oppress the poor person, we insult his maker, right? We insult God. So that's pretty strong language there. So what do we want to do? But what does it say? But the one who is kind to the needy honors him, honors God. So we don't want to be those who who uh, uh, insult God. We want to be those who honor God. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways we do that is by being there and being kind to the oppressed. Psalm 72, 4. May he vindicate the afflicted among the people, help the poor, and crush the oppressor, Right? That's what we desire. That's probably what the writer of Ecclesiastes desired. We see those who are oppressed, and we pray, God, deliver them. God, uh, crush their oppressor, uh, oppressor. You know, we see that kind of language in the Psalms. We saw it frequently uh, when we just looked at the Psalms of Asaph, right? That there were those who were doing evil, and we saw it often in the Psalms of Asaph. He would say, okay, God, you know, deliver your people. God, bring vengeance on these enemies. And so this idea that God would... Would, would would crush those who oppress others. Well, that's what we see here in Psalm 72, 4. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor, and do not plot evil in your hearts against one another. So again, here's the same kind of language. Don't oppress these people. Who? The widows, the fatherless, the poor, the needy. Uh, these are the ones that we see. The foreigner is one that we see listed here. Uh, and, and typically when we're talking about these these groups, we're talking about people who are vulnerable. Now, that could extend past these groups, but oftentimes it's the it's the widows and the orphans and the foreigner that 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 are in in places of of greatest need. And so what does the Lord say? Help those who need help. And finally, Proverbs chapter 22 verse 16, oppressing the poor to enrich oneself and giving to the rich both lead only to poverty. Okay, right? So we don't want to make we want to make sure that we don't do that, that we don't oppress the poor in an effort to, to make ourselves rich, because guess what? It's not going to end out good uh, for us. That's not that's not good behavior. So we see throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, that God is is opposed to this type of oppression because it's it's not right. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes sees here. He sees this oppression going on, and it and it doesn't seem fair, right? It can be disheartening, right? What's the point? Where is God in all this? If 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 evil people are going to get to continue to do what is evil, and they have the power to oppress people, what's the point? Well, we may not always see clearly what the point is or how God is working, but even in times of oppression, God may be working something great. Verse two 
So I admired the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. Now, this is an interesting verse, right? He sees all of the evils going on in the world, both the oppression and probably all the ones that have been written about up to this point. And what does he say? I admired the dead, right? Okay, so so the dead, they don't have to worry about all these things, is what he's saying. I admired the dead because here I am, and all of his wealth, and all of his power, and all that he had, and yet he is completely miserable and determined that life is meaningless, and he sees all this evil going on, and there can't be any joy to be found under the sun. And so he says, look, I admired the dead. But, but he didn't just say, I admired the dead. He uses interesting language here. He says, I admired the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. Now, why didn't he just say, I admired the dead more than the living? I don't know. Perhaps uh, there is more to what he's saying than, than what meets the eye. Uh, perhaps when he says, I admired those who, uh, the dead who have already died, maybe there he is acknowledging the fact that perhaps even some who are living are dead. They're dead to their sin. They might as well be dead. Uh, maybe when he says more than the living who are uh, still alive, uh, perhaps he's saying there that, hey, look, uh, there are some who are living, but they're not alive. They're living with the Lord for all of eternity, but they're not alive in this world. Now, maybe that is what he's trying to say there. That may be reading too much into the text, but uh, that's certainly not unbiblical to say that there are some uh, walking who are who are dead to sin because they haven't put faith in Jesus Christ. I think we can certainly see that that idea through Scripture. And it's certainly safe to say that there are some who are living and they are not still alive, at least not in this world. That's what Jesus told Martha when he said, look, you'll see my glory. We just talked about this verse uh, Sunday. And he said, look, uh, you know, some who, are, some who are dead are alive. You know, that's, that's what he's talking about, that same idea that even if you die, you will live is what Jesus said. And maybe that's kind of the same idea that the writer of Ecclesiastes here. Now, how much knowledge they had of the afterlife, I don't know if they understood the afterlife in the way we do. I don't know what God may have revealed to them or what they understood. But maybe, just maybe, that's what he's saying here. Maybe he's acknowledging, look, there are some who are living, yet not still alive in this world. And so uh, the point being here is he says, look, this life is a bummer. And so those who have died and got to escape this, oh, they're better off than me. Now, this is likely some kind of hyperbole, right? Uh, some, some, some exaggerated speech. We say, that, we say those kind of things sometimes too when we're depressed, when we're angry, when we're mad, when we want to give up. I'd be better off if I was dead, right? We may say those types of things uh, and in the same way that the writer of Ecclesiastes did. And then in verse 3, he goes even further with this idea. Uh, but better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. So there he says, look, better the one who has not even been born, the one who has not even existed, because they don't, they don't have to experience any of this pain. Okay, the dead are admired to some extent because they've escaped the pain, but even better, he says, for those who have never been born because they don't have to experience the pain at all. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting verse for us to consider here. Now, this verse has even been used by some. There's this 
there's this idea that's been going around our world and has gained some traction for the uh, last uh, 20 years, I would say. It's begun to gain a little bit of traction called antinatalism, which is people who would take passages like these and say, see, even the Bible says that we shouldn't have that we shouldn't have kids. That it's better not to bring children into this world because you should not be able to bring someone into the world without their permission. Now that's their argument. That's a that's a boneheaded argument right there. How are you going to get per, per, permission of something that's not yet been conceived? And so they will point to passages like these and say, even the Bible says that. Even the Bible supports our position, that it's better not to be born. However, I'm not so sure that that's exactly what the writer of Ecclesiastes here is saying. Uh, it doesn't even appear as though he's saying that he wished that he had never be, been born. He's simply acknowledging, to some extent, there is some benefit to have never been born, that it's better to have never been born than to suffer in this world and die apart from the Lord. But then on the flip side of that, wouldn't it be better to have been born and come to the Lord and experience the grace and the glory of God? And so that's certainly better than to never have existed. Even Jesus uses similar language in Matthew 26, verse 24. Uh, when he speaks of Judas, he says in that passage, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been, been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, I don't think Jesus is advocating for, for this idea that, okay, you shouldn't have any kids. After all, what did God say when he made Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. That's what God said, right? So, so that position that we see in our world and maybe you encounter from time to time, I don't think that's what Ecclesiastes is saying. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Look, if you are born and you live in sin and you never repent and you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ then yes, it would be better had you not been born than you to be born and reject Jesus Christ. But even better than that, it would be better for you to be born and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right? So what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying to some extent is true. Okay, yeah, if you're not born, you don't have to experience any of the bad. But on the flip side of that, if you're not born, you don't get to experience the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. And so better than all of those things is for us to be born, for us to bring children into the world, for us to teach those children the gospel of Jesus Christ, the words of God, raise them up in those words so that they will have eternal life with the Lord for all eternity. And that is what is better than all of those things. And the writer of Ecclesiastes gets that, right? He gets that even in the midst of his depression, even though he speaks this way, even though he uses these terms, he sees the bigger picture. And so there is hope for those who would seek the Lord, right? For at the end of the matter, there is only one thing left that, that, that makes, makes a difference, he says at the end, to fear God and to keep his commands. And so even though he is depressed, even though he speaks this way, that sometimes maybe it seems like it'd be better to be dead and to escape all this than to be in it. Sometimes people may say, man, it'd be better not to be born. But at the end of the matter, he realizes something that is significant. God is still in control, okay, right? He knows that God is bigger than this depression, this, this bummer of a life, this meaninglessness uh of, of the life that he is living and that you and I are living. 
Now, when we don't realize that God is bigger than all the things in this world, then life is even more depressing, right? When we, when we don't realize that there's a God, that's why people say uh, what, what is said in the book of Ecclesiastes, but they say it in complete hopelessness, right? There's nothing better than not to be born, right? That's the best thing. But they say that because they do not know God. If they knew God, they would know, hey, you know what? There is something better than not being born, and the better than not being born is to be in the very presence of God. And so perhaps as we read these passages, we think to ourselves, we think, man, uh, life is depressing, and we get it because we see the same things. But no matter how depressing life may be, no matter how difficult things may be, no matter how much oppression we see done to others, or perhaps we uh, endure it ourselves on some occasions, no matter how bad those things are, God is still good. And so when all is said and done, there is something greater than to not be born, and that is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so when all is said and done, the only thing that matters is to fear God and to keep his commands. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. And that's why we say that verse every single week. Because if we just take one or two of these verses out of context, it could really make us get bummed out, right? It could really be something that people could use to say, ha, ah, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. See, there's no point in life. Life is meaningless. The Bible says it. Yes, it does. It says it in Ecclesiastes, if you take a verse out of context. But you have to look at the whole picture. And the whole picture for the writer of Ecclesiastes comes down to God when all is said and done. And we need to remember that in our life, that we need to look past the depression. We need to look past the difficulties of life. We need to look past the things that are meaningless, and we need to look to God. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good words, and I pray, God, that you would help us not to not to get so bummed out that we just want to give up. I mean, God, there are certainly days that we that we feel like that, but we gotta we gotta look past those days, just as just as this book that we're stuttering studying looks past those things, dear Lord. Even though there are days where maybe we we may even be guilty of saying it'd be better to be dead, or God, maybe even sometimes people say, God, it'd be better not to be born. Well, dear Lord, people say that because they don't know you. God, if they knew you, they would know that there is so much greater than what this world has to offer. So I pray, God, that. One, we would not be those who oppressed others, but that we would be those who help the oppressed. God, that we would be those who, who seek to live for you as long as we are here, no matter how difficult it may be. And that, God, we would recognize the, the blessing that is life, that is being fruitful and multiplying, dear Lord, and filling this earth to know, God, that you will sustain us and you will take care of us, dear Lord, that, God, you don't want us to be born and live in sin. You want us to be born and have eternal life. So God, let us focus on that because God, eternal life is greater than our sin. And so God, I pray that you would help us to fear you and to keep your commands and all that we do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 